Um, one of the things that, uh, that I do as pastor is I hear your stories. I hear a lot of things, but I hear your stories. And I know that there are lots of challenges that people go through. Uh, a lot of hurt, a lot of heartache, sickness. Y'all know we've got folks in the church that are dying. Um, we need to be able to confess in those times what we know to be true so that we can have comfort. We rely on the truth of the faith to give us comfort. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then we are among all people most to be pitied. But he did raise from the dead and he gave us new life. We sang this song a few minutes ago and what I want us to do is I know there are some folks in here along with me that need to make this confession of faith. This is a confession of faith. This is what we believe. We sang it, but I want us to say it, to hear ourselves, to hear the words come out of our mouths so that we can affirm to ourselves that I believe this and I stand on this. So if y'all would please stand and we're gonna read the words and we wanna make this a confession of faith this morning like they've been doing since the Reformation for 500 years. This is what we believe. And join me as I read. You were the word at the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down my sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus. Death could not hold you. The veil toward before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Let's pray. Lord God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
let those words pierce the heart of the brokenhearted. Let those words pierce the heart of those who are dying. Let the, we, those words pierce the heart of the ones who love those who are brokenhearted and who are dying. Let those words pierce the heart of people that have to get up and go to work tomorrow, that have to face a world that is hostile to you. Let those words pierce the hearts of mamas. Let those words pierce the hearts of daddies that they would understand and know that their children need to know that there's a savior and that they can live the life that their children can see who is in charge, who is the Lord, who is to be worshiped. Please, Father, this morning, help us to see you and to know you. My words are feeble, my skills are slight, but the Holy Spirit is all powerful. Please speak to us, your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A couple of things I've neglected to tell everybody today is that uh, as you could tell, Logan is not here. Logan is at a wedding and uh, he'll be back, I think he's back tomorrow. And Bo is not here. Bo is at a wedding as well. Him and his family are in North somewhere, North North Carolina in a wedding. Laura is here, but not here because today was the day for the children to go to Lynn Haven and lead worship. So at 10 o'clock, Laura and the children were off campus at Lynn Haven leading a worship service for the senior adults there. So that's cool, that's good stuff. On Wednesday night that just passed, we had reverse trick-or-treat. Some of you were involved with reverse trick-or-treat. What that is is our Awana kids dress up in costume and we throw them on buses and in cars and we go to people's houses that are either shut-ins, homebound people, or people that we think need a special touch like a 90-year-old man in the very back that's running the camera some people went over to his house. We went to different houses. And one of our mamas posted on Facebook after it was over. She has a charming daughter who I think is a fifth grader who made this statement. She said, Mama, we were supposed to make their day, but I really think they made mine. And see, that's why we encourage our children to serve and encourage our students to serve because when you serve, Jesus shows up. When you touch people with the hands of Jesus, he shows up and then you get to see Jesus right in front of you and the effect that Jesus has on people. The reason we studied the book of John, remember? I said it over and over and over again. We studied the book of John so that we would know Jesus when we saw Jesus. And this wonderful fifth grade girl saw Jesus show up in reverse trick-or-treat and she was blessed and that's a good thing. Now we left John and we're going to Genesis and we went to Genesis for a very specific reason. There are a lot of voices in this world. I watch, I watch some preachers on television during the week that I do not believe half of what comes out of their mouth but I listen to see what they're saying and how they say it and how it's being received. And it's sort of like checking out the enemy 
so that when I get to church and I hear some of those words coming out of our mouths, I'm ready to defend. I'm ready to say, wait a minute now, let's think about what was just said. The book of Genesis, the reason we're in the book of Genesis is we have been flooded, our minds have been flooded for years and years that we are nothing more than the product of time plus matter plus chance and that formed us into people at just the right time over billions of years and if that is true, you have no value. And there is no way to have morality in this world. What people are doing is okay. You can do anything you want to because when you die, you're just gone. You don't matter. All of the chemicals that form you will go back in the dirt and one day it'll become another person if that's what we want to believe. But we're going back to Genesis to find out what does the scripture say to us and what do we hold as true and dear. And we hold as true and dear that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that there was a man by the name of Noah. We believe that there was a flood that covered the entire earth. We believe what we're about to study, that there was a place called Babel where language was changed and that there was a reason for that. And the crazy thing about this, or the good thing, or however you want to look at this, is since I have been studying this to prepare for sermons, I, my faith has deepened and deepened because of the fact that I can see how God has moved through the scriptures to reveal himself to us, to let us know that he is indeed in charge and that he is indeed working a plan and the plan is going to result in our one day being with him in heaven and that he will rule over this earth one day. The plan's going to happen. See, where we've done things in the past, where we've done things in the past is we have preached this section and preached this section and preached this section and preached this section and you go to Sunday school and you study this part and this part and this part and this part and it starts getting in our head that all of the scripture stands on its own each little section and it doesn't. It doesn't stand on its own. It's a story. It's a giant story about God and how God loved his people and his creation and how he was going to work to save them. And that's what we're seeing today is one more step in his plan of making things work the way he designed them to work. That's what's in the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. I said before, it's music to a pastor's ears to hear the pages turning in a Bible. It's sort of neat. It lets me know you're at least following along or you'll have something to stare at when you fall asleep and I'll think you're really deep in study and all that stuff when, you know, as long as you don't snore, we're good. Genesis chapter 11, first book of the Bible, it's easy to get to. It's Tower of Babel. If you're reading from the Christian Standard Bible like I do, it's called the Tower of Babylon. That's okay. It's not like there's an issue here. Babylon comes from Babel. They both mean, the word means confused. So it's no big deal. Don't freak out over that. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower the humans were building. The Lord said, 
if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it is called Babylon or Babel. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. Why did they build a city? There are three things that we're going to look at this morning, three, three questions we want to answer. One is, is, what's wrong with building a city? I mean, why was that a problem? What's wrong with building a city? Secondly, what exactly is God's response to human disobedience? What is his response to human disobedience? And finally, where do we go from here? What's, what's the next thing that we look at? So why did they build a city and why were they building a tower? We're going to do something here that the first crew I don't think found fascinating. I found fascinating. I hope you find it fascinating. But if you don't, that's okay because I did. It's sort of cool. I want to prove to you how smart you're becoming. I do. I want to prove to you how smart you're becoming as we study this scripture. See, one of the things that we want to look at here is, is we want to identify the characters in this story. Who are the important people in this story? And all this story says to us is they. It says they. In verses three and four, we hear they said, they used, they said. Who is they? Who is they? Well, we know who that they is because we've studied this. Verse one says the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. Side note, gonna teach you right quick something that will help you win Bible trivia. The word language in Hebrew means lip. They all had the same lip because see you talk with your lips and we're all making the same sound. We had the same lip. So in Bible trivia, you can say, oh, I know the Hebrew word is lip and you win and you'll go, thank you, Pastor Randy, for making me smart. I think it's great. So that's what that means. Verse two says, as people migrated, not sure it was everybody in the world, but it says, as people migrated, they started coming to this one place. Now, who was their leader? Who is their leader? This text doesn't tell us, but we can know who the leader is, see? Last week, we read chapter 10, end to end. Y'all thought I was crazy. It was kind of unusual. I massacred an awful lot of names, but in that scripture, you'll hear this. Cush fathered Nimrod, who began to be, the, to be powerful in the land, okay? Nimrod, who began to be powerful in the land. He was a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. That's why it said, like Nimrod, a powerful hunter in the sight of the Lord. His kingdom started with Babylon. His kingdom started with Babylon. Eric Akkad Kalne in the land of Shinar. And if you go to verse two of what we just read, it says they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And then in verse nine, it said it is called Babylon or Babel, depending on which version you're reading. Whose kingdom started with Babylon? Nimrod. Hey, look how smart you guys are. You just figured out who the guy in charge was. The guy that's in charge here is Nimrod. He's a great hunter. That gives him uh, notoriety. It gives him, uh, what's the word, popularity. It gives him the ability to be a leader because people will follow him. People will listen to him. But it also tells this tells us this, that you already know. He was a descendant of one of Noah's three children. He was the descendant 
of Ham. Y'all remember us talking about Ham? And remember we said that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, so you have to pay attention to the apple, right? He's one of the apples that fell from the tree, didn't fall too far. His daddy was a godless man, so was Nimrod. Nimrod didn't fear God just like his daddy didn't fear God. So we know this because we paid attention to detail. See how smart we're getting to be? And then verse four, we hear this. It says, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered through the whole earth. Why would they want to build a city? I believe it was for safety because the world's a frightening place. I want you to remember this, something else that we read. When, when, when Noah got off the ark, God said, okay, now you can have fried chicken. You can eat animals now. You can have a steak, you can have hamburger, you can have pork chops, fried, yes. But this is the result of that, or a consequence of that. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea. These animals that we've read before seem to have pet-like qualities. They don't have pet-like qualities anymore. What happens when an animal gets afraid? What happens when you go to somebody's house and they have a watchdog and that watchdog does not know you? How does that dog react? Now, some of you have watched lickers, I know, because I've been to a few houses where the dogs will run and try to lick me to death, but some of you don't. And y'all have got dogs that have teeth, and I know that they have teeth because they bare their teeth and they make that growling noise, and that's sort of frightening. But I, when I was a kid, I had the, the honor of being the kid in the neighborhood who always got bit by the dogs. We rode bicycles back then. Y'all remember bicycles, two wheels, one on the front, one on the back. They don't do that as much anymore. But that was what we did all the time, rode bicycles. And every dog in the world decided that I had very sweet meat. And they all wanted to have a taste. I don't know what the deal is. It's frightening, though. And in this story, we understand that it was a frightening world. People weren't at the top of the food chain anymore. Some of these animals in the wild that they were walking through, that they were living through in the wilderness where there were no trees and there were caves, some of those animals would not only bite you, they would eat you. And I don't think getting eaten is exactly what you want to do on a Friday afternoon. So they started to move together for protection. And another thing is, is strange people. You know, people are, are starting to have babies and have babies and have babies and they don't know everybody anymore and now they're strangers in the land and y'all know how we react when we have strangers. We do it in the church and it's, it's, not, it's not because we're bad people, it's because this is how we are designed to be. When we meet somebody new, we're a little bit skeptical. It's hard to walk up to somebody we don't know and stick at our hand and say, hey, I'm Randy Darnell, it's good to see you. Who, what is your name? That's sort of a frightening thing. It's easier to go to people that you vetted already. Your Sunday school class, the crowd that you hang around with because you know that they are safe. And even if you know that there's somebody in the group that's not safe, you know how to deal with that unsafe person. You know you got something quantifiable. Stepping outside of that is a fearful thing. Something that we have to get over in the church 
but you understand how this works. That's what's going on with these people. They were afraid. Their motivator was fear, and they wanted to come together for safety. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Towers are defensive, and they want to make a name for themselves. Y'all understand this perfectly. A number of you understand this perfectly. We are Americans. Don't mess with us. We're the United States of America. Who are you? Don't mess with us. That's our attitude, and you know it's our attitude. We are proud. The national anthem comes on. We pop up like jack-in-the-boxes because we are proud of our country because we have a name that says, mess with us, and if we've got the right people in place, we will obliterate you, period. There's no difference. This happened 4,000 years ago. It's the same idea. It's the same concept. Plus, we're going to build our tower with the top in the sky. The word translated sky is actually the Hebrew word for heaven. What they're saying is, is we're not going to need anybody. You'll notice in that scripture, he never mentions God. We're going to get together. We're going to take care of ourselves. We'll be totally self-sufficient. We don't have to worry about anybody. Now, the question we have to ask, and what I have thought in the past, and it's almost right, but not completely right, is why is building the city wrong? Is it because of their incredible hubris, that their their amazing arrogance, that they could order their lives in such a way that they do not need God? Well, we know that God doesn't particularly care for arrogance very much. Y'all can quote this with me. I'm going to let you fill in the last one. Be ready. The first group, I had to stand for like two hours waiting for them to get to the word, but I'm going to give you the first part. You give me the word, all right? Pride cometh before. There you go. We all know that. Pride cometh before a fall. Jesus says in the book of Matthew, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God doesn't particularly care for arrogance. But that's still not the reason that God does what he does here. Something else you've learned because we've studied Genesis. In chapter 9, verse 7, God tells Noah, listen, God tells Noah, but you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply it on it. Let's do that again, that was horrible. But you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. Y'all remember I used the word swarm. This word that says multiply means to swarm all over the earth. You swarm. God told that he didn't tell them to make a city. What God told them to do was you swarm all over the earth. And you remember from last week, Acts chapter 17, where the scripture says, he did this, he created all the nations so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of them. Think about this. This is common sense. When you are going through a dark, dark place, what's the first thing you do? God, help me. 
We pray the most when we're going through the worst. Lord, help me, show me. My job's not going well. My marriage is not going well. My children's not going well. You name it. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. Help me. That's what he designed us for. And these folks got together and said, we're not going to need that. We're going to get together and we're going to build this city. Why was building this city wrong? Because God told them to spread out all over all the earth, to depend on him and to see him and to find him. And they said, we're not going to do it. We're going to build a city. Disobedience of a command of God. That's why it's wrong. Not just their arrogance, but the fact that they were arrogant and said, we are not going to do what you've commanded us to do. That's why it was wrong for them to build a city. So, what happens next? What did God do in, in response to their disobedience? The Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. The line here, the sentence, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. What, is, what the implication is in that is when these people band together, when humans band together and they forget God, they become like the people before the flood. The evil multiplies. They start believing they're nothing but time plus matter plus chance and they start doing really bad things and God says, I'm not gonna allow that to happen again. So God intervenes and over time, I don't, I, this is a personal thing, you can disagree with me and we can't argue about who's right here because it doesn't specifically say that. But I believe that over time, God confused their language, the work stops, the people scatter and they did what God planned for them to do in the first place. God's plan cannot be stopped. I hope this truth has stirred in our heart as we study this. God's plan to redeem his people can't be stopped. You cannot stop God. He's got his plan set up. He knows what he's gonna do. He is sovereignly in charge and he cannot be stopped. And this is what this says to us right now. Paul talks in 2 Timothy and he says, but I'm not ashamed because I know whom I've believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until that day, that what God has started in me cannot be derailed. Do you understand what that's saying? That God, when he is in your heart, his plan for your life cannot be derailed. You may do things that are not right or not holy or not good, but it cannot stop God. He is working in you and he is going to finish the plan that he has in you. He is gonna make you like, like his son Jesus and on the day that you die, he's gonna take you home to live with him. That's guaranteed. One of the things that we do is we get in such dark places that we forget that God is God and he cannot be manipulated. He cannot be stopped. Everything he's promised for us, he will do, period. Do you understand that? Do we see that? Now, where do we go from here? Chapter 11 is the last portion 
of the ancient history of the Bible. Now we're gonna go to Abram. Some things that we've learned that I want us to, to leave us with, just a couple of things first. We need to embrace the deep and abiding understanding that God has a plan for people and nothing under heaven can stop it. It's that simple. Nothing can stop him. We've, we've seen him working. Knowing God is good and just and holy and pure and righteous and on and on reminds us that whatever work he is doing in us, it will be a good work for us and we will end up blessed. We will. We will. Secondly, understanding what we know. We know that not everybody's going to be saved but we know that many people are. So we asked the question, saved from what? Well, we said if God's commands are promises of life and disobedience is humankind's failure to follow those commands, if following them is life, then not following them is death. And that's what we're saved from. We're saved from darkness. We're saved from confusion and struggle and turmoil, self-inflicted pain for the rest of eternity. And many of us are living in that right now. God's children are saved from that. They're saved to life, never-ending, fulfilling, complete life in Christ. Now, here's the kick in the head. God is going to do his plan with you or without you. God is going to do his plan with you or without you. So what's your choice? Will you choose to do your own thing, to be disobedient? I'm not gonna follow in the way he says. I'm self-sufficient, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made woman, I can do whatever I wanna do. I'm gonna follow that path. If you follow that path, that is your choice. It will lead to destruction. But there's another path that says, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear your name. And when I hear your name, I'll recognize it as a beautiful name and that you'll be powerful and you'll be wonderful and you will guide me and hold me no matter what season of life I am going through. I am saved. Your choice. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, all praise to your name. Your righteousness knows no bounds. Your truth endures to all generations. Your love cannot be stopped. Thank you for showing us your hand in history. Thank you for showing us that your will be done means that your will be done regardless of our faithfulness or our faithlessness that you and you alone are God please father call us to hear your spirit for your children lord cause us to hear and rejoice and for those you're calling to the family cause them to hear repent believe and be saved thank you lord for your faithfulness in Jesus' name, amen. We look back to the reformers 
as laying groundwork for the Protestant group of people. Protestants or Catholics, we're all Protestants. Laid the groundwork for people to come along for us to end up being Southern Baptists. But they built their foundation on a cross that was raised outside a hill in Jerusalem where Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross and bled onto us. Scripture says that we were baptized into his death. Each one of us who were his children, that we died with him, that our sins were carried with him into the grave, and that when he was raised to new life, so were we. If you do not know that new life, I ask you, I plead with you, talk to one of us. Talk to me. Come down and talk to me. Talk to me after the service. Let's talk about what that means. That is the most freeing thing in the world. It doesn't make it easy. I will attest to that. But I know that when I stand, that there is one standing with me. And when this very short life is over, and I'm telling you, we're on the runway, guys, and I see the end of it for some of us we know who's gonna be there. If you are a child of God, if you have been saved, if you're a Christian, take a moment to thank him for that. Be reminded of that. You are never alone, ever. The stand as we sing.